My name is Ian Rowlands. And I'm Colin Williams. And welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world. And Colin, today's subject is sound and the power of sound, I guess. Interesting. Now, we've prepared some homework for this (laughs) in that we did this some time ago on one of our travels in Spain. We were trying to select some of our favourite sounds. So uh, so I'm going to go for the sound of wind in trees mm. uh, specifically actually you go for the sound of wind in pine trees in coniferous trees Um, and the easy thing is that it takes me back to a memory of living in an urban environment where the nearest wild thing was a stand of Scots pine trees and the sound in the wind stirred something in me. An ancestral memory, it's a nice way of describing it, which took me to a wilder place. And, and then as I started to venture from home, grew up, experienced wild places, that never left me and I would still hear the wind in the pines and be identifying that place with the non-human world so so that's a big one i think also because wind makes different sounds in different trees you know there's a a fluttering fluttering leaves of aspens or poplar trees in europe and um you know the the large leafy trees like sycamore and oak make completely different sound to the pines and pines of course are often the tree particularly in in our part of the world it's on on the northern limits you know, it's where it might be windier and it might be more wild and it might be more cold. So I associate the mental pictures that come to mind are all of those things. Um, sometimes there are little bird noises. So there'll be little uh, scratchings of squirrels throwing down cones. I can picture breezes in the pines on warm summer days where the resin of the trees is redolent in the air and, and you're enveloped by that, smothered in it in some ways. And... Uh, I've been showered with pollen by the pine trees in the north of Scotland. But constantly it's that sound. And um, I think touching on the theme of the podcast at the beginning, I think of us as a, you know, an acoustic creature. Yeah. And we're subliminally for many people because we're just so busy with our eyes, uh, noticing things. But all the time there's a backdrop. And you know, they always say that, that the human consciousness is recording, you know, a thousand five hundred more things every second that are going on around us and a huge component of that will be sound and when you then stop and pause and are silent those sounds can have a profound impact on you does yeah. that explain it yeah it does and, and you talk really beautifully about that and i as you talked you describe it so well that i can i know exactly what you mean and i, I can i can hear it myself the other thing that strikes me is that because of the way pine trees grow which is often tall and straight they're often in my experience at least the the trees that speak the most they're the ones that creak and groan and um and and suddenly the wind gives these trees a voice 
Um, and when you have a whole stand of those things or a whole forest of those things, and there's, there's also that creaking going on that, that happens when in really strong wind. I love that. Um, and I love to um, hear that because it, um, as I say, I, I feel it gives the trees a voice. Um, and I'm not saying that I could name a tree by the sound of, you know, that the noise the wind makes in it, it you might be able to. Um, but at the same time, when I do hear wind in pine trees, it's very recognisable. Um, so that's you didn't mean to tee that up, and you didn't know that's what I was going to talk about next, did you? But no, you just—it's uncanny how you've led into that because I have a book open in front of me, which is uh, one of my favourite authors, David Abram. Um, Becoming Animal is the title of the book, and uh, he has a, a chapter on the speech of things. It's, it's talking about the non-human world and how we relate to it. So I'm going to read this to you. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth listening to. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, I met a man who had schooled himself in the speech of needled evergreens. And uh, on a breezy day, you could drive him blindfolded to any patch of coastal forest and place him still blindfolded beneath a particular tree. And after a few moments, he would tell you just by listening what species of pine or spruce or fir stood above him, whether he stood beneath a Douglas fir or a Grand fir, a Sitka spruce or a Western red cedar. His ears were attuned, he said, to the different dialects of the trees. Wow. So, um, and that's what you're referring that's to, lovely, isn't, isn't it? it? Um, the other bit about speech and voices, which I, I suppose this is taking us out on the edge somewhere, really, would be the notion that... Um, that the, the, the trees have a genuine voice. And I literally mean, you know, that, that some people would listen to the wind in the leaves and say, that tree is speaking, a bit like you said. And you think, well, that's kind of uh, preposterous because it's just uh, the rustling of needles. It's just the, it can't be the speech of a tree. It's just the wind through the leaves. And then, as Abraham points out, curiously, these clever people seem not to notice that it's demonstrably the same thing when they speak. We talk, after all, only by shaping the exhaled air that rushed into our lungs a moment earlier. Human speech, too, is really the wind moving through us. That's fantastic, isn't I it? I love that. I love and, that. It, and we recognise that all the time. When you phone a close relative or a close friend, all you have to do is say, it's me, and we know who it is. And it's, may, maybe this we're not listening hard enough. Well, it's interesting, to, isn't it? We are... I, I, you and I perhaps have similar voices, only the, the, the listeners of the podcast can tell us, but sufficiently different that you can tell when I'm speaking, when you're speaking, we recognise our friends very quickly. And it's just the way we frame the passage of air through mm. our bodies. And and so I love the idea that um, this is actually what all the creatures that we're going to refer to in the non-human world are doing. But we somehow think of their vocalisations as lesser than ours. They mean something to us because we identify them with place where we were, but in their own right, they not only mean a lot to that creature, but they perhaps are the voice of the natural world mm. speaking to itself. What's your second sound, Ian? Um, so my second sound um, I'm going to select, actually, is spring peepers. 
by way of contrast. Okay, now there's going to be a lot of people that don't know what you mean when you say spring peeper, so explain. Okay, I'll, I'll take you somewhere first. That's by way of kind of, do I explain or do I take you there? Well, let's take you there. We'll, we'll, we'll walk together, all of us, um, in the forests of New England. Um, and it can be any time of day, but often at dusk is when you notice it most because other sounds have quietened. And these tiny forest frogs, often in damp margins around lakes and ponds, but they can be right out in the middle of the forest, have a gentle peeping sound. How would I take... It's hard to untangle, isn't it? This is the dilemma of, of describing sounds because it's taking me to that place and it's taking me to my notion of the forests of North America being so extensive in a way that they're not in Britain and not even in Europe very much. So it's a sound of wild, wide-open spaces. And it's a very delicate sound. So maybe it's I select it because it's kind of akin to the, the gentle sound of the fire that you described. But it's a, this gentle peeping sound is kind of a rhythmic, comforting sound, I guess. It's interesting. There's a thing um, called... Uh, well, it's, it's actually, you wear headphones and can broadcast the sound, and it's described as hemisync. It's two slightly different tones in each ear, and that rhythmic sound can lull the human brain into a very relaxed state. Um, often used in sort of out of body states actually to encourage people to experience different things and I think some of these soft rhythmic sounds have that quality it's a sort of non-human sound taking us to a non-human place and for me that rhythmic gentle call of the spring peepers in a New England forest um, is, is that and one thing I'll add to that is imagine us out in the forest and as a lots of standing dead trees there's a clearing and there's a large pond uh, with a beaver lodge in the middle and it's getting quiet and we're waiting for the beavers to come out and swim by and the spring peepers the little frogs are making their chorus and uh, and I remember tracking the sound of the peepers going quiet across the other side of the lake and it traveled as a quiet spot moved from right to left across the sound of the lake and then as the quiet patch moved to the left the peepers in the right began to pipe up again and uh, it was the movement of a bobcat in the woods and as the bobcat circled the pond trying to get at the beavers the peepers went quiet in like a little circumference around the bobcat so actually being tuned into that sound you could you could track what else was going on in the environment just by paying a little bit more attention that's amazing yeah almost like a like iron filings moving away from a, a, a negatively charged magnet. That's as a you, great description. As you push the magnet through, they in the uh, book Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez, um, he talks about um, the navigational abilities of 
indigenous Arctic peoples. Um, and he points out that they live in a landscape with no edges. Um, there are often no trees or or forests um, or um, divisions in the landscape by which to navigate. And so they uh, they rely on a combination of many other things to tell what weather is coming, um, to tell which direction they're headed in, which direction they need to head in. And uh, he talks about all sorts of things, the movement of wind over the surface of the of the landscape, um, um, looking at the way animals are moving in the landscape. And he also talks about sound and how the subtle differences of sound um, help them um, help them plan their next move, um, almost, and help them move in their own environment. It's a really amazing thing to talk about how tuning into a sound can help you understand so many other things that are going on around you. And I love that book, and I'd forgotten that part of it. I'm going to have to go back and track that down again, because that's really interesting, isn't it? Because what I was describing is um, is a boundary. It's it's using sound to mm. uh, to betray what else is, is going on in, in the way that um, small birds will scold an owl sat in a tree. You know, it's a giveaway sound. You know something is, is there if you're tuned in. And of course, around the edge of a, a pond or a lake, it's an edge habitat. There's more sound actually on the edges of things, as you just described the absence of that in the Arctic areas. Mm. Um, how interesting. Can you imagine navigating yourself through light and sound in a relatively featureless landscape? What's your last noise okay so yeah. so the preamble to this is um i lived in the highlands of scotland for a long time and heard that the relative of this making its familiar sound and we as i said we're recording this in october and from uh where i live the house in east anglia i can hear the roaring of red deer stags um but this is not that sound this is the equivalent of red deer um in north america the elk so not the elk of Europe, the moose, but the elk, which is, for those of us in Europe, is an outsized red deer, a larger-than-life version of the red deer with this extreme, shrill, shrieking call in the fall, which is the mating call of the bull elk. There's a, a magic and a mystery about that, and I guess in common with lots of my relationships with the natural world, it's my desire to seek out the the kind of um, the mystery in there. The mystery is sort of dispelled when a, a bull elk steps out of the forest, say in Wyoming, and early morning, and the mist is rising from its nostrils and throws back its head, 
and this shrieking sound is there and there, circling up a harem of females for the autumn. But to hear the sound and not see the animal is even more remarkable, because as you've heard, it it it, it doesn't sound almost like anything you could recognise for those of us in Europe, certainly. Um, so it has a has a mysterious quality to it, but it also has a tremendous sense of place. So it's it's wild forests of uh, North America. It's a Pacific a specific time of year in that autumn time, before the first snows come. But as the leaves are this beautiful colour, and I can picture in my mind's eye. Um, I love that phrase, one that Shakespeare conjured up. Actually, we never used it before Shakespeare. In my mind's eye, I can see. Uh, an elk amongst the sort of golden cottonwood leaves stepping out on the on the edge of a valley in perhaps Yellowstone in, in Wyoming and uh, early morning as you're out looking for wolves or bears or the other denizens of the park those elk are the things that are the charismatic stars of, of that place and they're quite dangerous you know mm. it's sort of uh, photographers can't get too close to them and they're um they're in a heightened state of uh, aggressive alertness, bull elk, and you don't want to mess with them. So there's a, a little hint of danger that goes with them too, which I really like with that sound. So there's, there was quite a lot in there in in your description. So did I talk too much? No, no, it was really lovely to hear because you you talk about what those things signal for you. Signals the wild. Mm-hmm. Signals a place, a time of year. Mm. Um, that whiff of, you know, hormonally driven animal violence um, that you know besets these creatures at this time of year. Um, and is it is it the sound itself? Do you think, or is it the other things it signals and denotes that that draw you? To, to have chosen this sound it, it has to be that and I was as, I, as you were speaking which is very nice because you kind of identified my slightly rambling sort of narrative there and pick, picked out the, the salient bits is that it's interesting to wonder what the other animals and birds what's triggered in them when they hear that sound because if you're a bear feeding up for the for the winter or if you're migrating birds moving through that's the only time you'll hear that sound in a way and that's it's part of an environment that might speak to them as it speaks to us. And I like the fact you picked it apart because, yes, it's, um, it's interesting how the sounds are, say, unlike the, the wind in the trees, which is just wild, or spring peepers. I've, you know, I've been in those forests in New England at all sorts of seasons. You can hear it at different times of the year. But that's a very specific seasonal sound, and it's sort of a, a the natural time clock. It's saying this is that season when... You will experience this and feel this and the winter is coming and the summer has gone and it's that moment in time which is the identifying stamp is that sound mm. i think we've we, we've only just touched on a few things about sound in the natural world and, and our sound ex- enhances and informs our experience in the non-human world and i think there's a whole another podcast in in sound more generally and i think there's some great exponents of and, and evangelists about this really you think about chris watson and and jeff sample and those great folk working in this field and if i think about uh, there's a, a fantastic record label called grun recorder mm, tell me about um that. and and uh G- german record label that specialize in in releases 
that focus very heavily on field recordings and the sound of nature. Um, and I'd urge you to check out their website because, you know, it's the only place where you can buy, you know, nine CD box sets of wind in grass um, and, and other such things. But there's truly amazing um, pieces of recording that, that they release um, and are well worth checking out because some astonishing sounds and some astonishing people working with sound. So I think there's a whole other podcast in, in sound more generally. We've, we've spoken really briefly today about some of our favourites. Um, so we've got to wrap this up, Ian. But but what what are your reflections on some of the things we've discussed today about sound and our favourite sounds? Well, it's very interesting being forced to go through this and, and A, the difficulty of picking out particular sounds, but also realising that it's, um, it's partly the where it puts you in place and you sense your location in the world. And I think that's... Um, I'll speak for myself. I'll use an I statement here, which is uh, as somebody with without a tremendous sense of place, I think you have more of a sense of ancestry in place than I do. So I can locate where I am in the world and put some boundary around me. It's like I know where I am. Mm. So that there's a even in the wildest of places, there's a security that comes with with that sound. So I, I like the fact that it identifies place. I like the fact we recognize identifies time. Um, but probably most of all, I like the fact that um, the non-human world has a voice that, you know, it speaks to us, it speaks to itself, and we're a, we're a receptor and we react in a certain way to it. And I think it, it's those things for me too. And, and I, um, but I think it also, it's a thing that works it draws a boundary around my memories as well in a way that uh, other things don't. Um, and I, it, it hammers in these, these markers, um, which help me locate myself in a, in a very particular time and place. Um, and as I was, uh, I was looking at some of my old field notebooks the other day and there was a moment I recorded where we were in, um, a gorge, a sort of wooded gorge, but we'd risen up um, out of, we'd climbed onto the edges of the bordering escarpments. And um, we were above the tree line looking out over these trees, but still looking up at the highest, the highest rocky outcrops there. And there was this bit that the way I described it um, struck me because um, I wrote, just as we were leaving the gorge, a peregrine stooped and screeched a perfect line down the face of the escarpment and disappeared as quickly as he'd announced his presence, as if he was seeing us off. In going back to that, I was fascinated that I, I chose to describe the line that the bird flew in, in noise. He screeched a line. Uh, down the face of the escarpment. He didn't fly down the face of the escarpment. He didn't an audible movement. He screeched a line down the face of the escarpment. Lovely. That's really beautiful. On that note, thanks for listening. You can find more about our podcast on the website, beneaththestream.com. And now we're going to close with that beautiful music from the ace master of communicating with the natural world, David Rothenberg.